Good morning. It's good to see you today. Welcome. Would you turn your Bibles with me back to Romans chapter 8? I am excited to finish our little series, two parts here, Lord willing, today on the glories of adoption. And uh, grateful for each one of you here. Welcome. I see family from different states. Welcome, Kirsten and Colin and Dave and Katie and all the children. Good to see you all. Hope you're enjoying some time with family together. I know you guys always have a party whenever you're here, so it's great. That's good. Good to see all of you. I also, if it helps, I don't know that it will or not or make you feel a little more comfortable, but um, I wanted, I've been wanting to for a while, send out some sort of a note to you knowing that Sundays like this can get pretty hot in here. And so if you if you want to call these Sundays shorts, t-shirts, and sandals Sunday and bring your own fan, that's fine. Do what you gotta do. I'd rather have you here than at home. So if you if that would help you feel a little more comfortable, please do. And I um, so Lord willing we'll be able to enjoy some good time in the word together and, and not be too distracted. Well, let me, let's have a stand, and I'd like to read um, our section for study. We've been working our way through these few verses, Romans 8, 12-17. Would you read these with me in unison, and then we'll look at these verses together, or continue to from last Sunday. Let's read them in unison. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we also be glorified with Him. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we're coming back to this precious text again this Sunday, and I pray that You would enable us to see the glory of Your saving work of adoption that we would see how great Your love is, how powerful Your grace, Your mercy, how faithful You are to Your children. Help us to see Your clear goodness at work in our lives through Jesus Christ. May we see how great a sacrifice Christ has made so that we could be called children of God. And I pray that You would, by Your Spirit, illumine these things to us, not just here as we sit and enjoy the verses of this section, but also may we enjoy these things when in seasons of difficulty or struggles, particular struggles with sin or conflict with other brothers and sisters, may these truths come to light in our hearts again and and may they move us to behave as Your children 
Father, let us behold the great love. Let us set our minds on the glory of the gospel, particularly in a day when there are so many um, distracting agendas. Help us to set our minds on the glory of our adoption and the work of Christ in the gospel. And may we respond to them as we ought to. What shall we say to these things if God be for us? Who can be against us? And we want to bring you glory and thanksgiving, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. As we said last week, and I'd like to give a, a brief review of where, what we talked about last week in the first part of this, ver- this section, um, adoption is a gospel theme that I think we far too easily neglect. This fan is making lots of racket in there. Um, in fact, I think that it is a major theme, certainly in Romans 8, but also throughout the entire New Testament. Just notice, if you will, the familial terms in Romans 8. Looking at Romans 8, verse 12, it begins with, So then, brothers, verse 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. The end of verse 15, the spirit of adoption as sons. The end of verse 15 again, Abba, Father. Verse 16, the very end, we are children of God. Verse 17, and if children, then heirs. And then later on in the text, Verse 19, the eager longing of revealing of the sons of God. The end of verse 21, the children of God. The end of verse 23, adoption as sons. Even then in verse 29, firstborn among many brothers. So as you, as you look at this particular chapter, adoption is a major theme. Oh, the being a child of God, part of the family of God is a major theme here. As I mentioned last week, J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God, mentions how, how, how much this doctrine is neglected in our discussion. And he says this, our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. It was a very interesting statement. Certainly, justification by faith is the primary, it's the fundamental doctrine of the Gospel. One apart from which, Adoption cannot be enjoyed, but later on he says also that adoption is the highest privilege of the gospel. I introduced to us a definition of adoption simply because we haven't had time to take all of the texts of Scripture, Old and New Testament, relating to adoption and really do a biblical theology of them before we look at this particular text in Romans. But I think that the 1689 London Baptist Confession does an excellent job of a, of a summary of the biblical theology of adoption. It says, God has granted that all those who are justified, right, there's the entrance into the kingdom of God being declared righteous through the work of Christ, that they would receive the grace of adoption in and for the sake of His Son, Jesus Christ. No one is ever adopted upon their own merit, but entirely upon the righteousness of Christ. By this they are counted among the children of God and enjoy the freedom and privileges of that loving relationship which then are spelled out. And you can think through the texts of Scripture that this is referring to. They inherit His name. Receive the spirit of adoption. Have access to the throne of grace with boldness. 
and are enabled to cry, Abba, Father. They are given compassion, protected, provided for, and chastened by Him as a Father. Yet they are never cast off, but are sealed for the day of redemption and inherit the promises as heirs of everlasting salvation. What a list of riches that is. Isn't it? Glorious to think of what we have in our adoption. Last week we briefly asked the question by way of introduction, how then does one become adopted? How does that happen? And we we looked at four different words. Basically, first the word was transition. It's a transition from one family into another. The Bible talks about in Ephesians 2, 1-3, that everyone is born into the world a child of disobedience or a child of wrath. Both of those terms are found in Ephesians 3. That's the condition of all of us. In fact, 1 John 3.10 says that there are two families. There's the family of God and the family of the devil. And there are children of God and children of the devil. Everyone's born of the world in that first family, the family of the devil. By our own nature, we love sin. We love to worship a created thing. And we are naturally children of the devil. But, secondly, adoption is also an act of God's free grace. We don't initiate our own adoption. Spelled out so clearly, even in 1 John 3.1, Behold, what kind of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we would be what? Called children of God. What part do we have in that? We're not worthy of that calling. We didn't initiate it. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. It's an act of God's free saving love to call sinful people like you and I children. Third, we said it's purchased by Christ. Right? It, adoption is costly. Romans 8, 1-4, through tell us something of this. Look back at the, at the beginning of the chapter that we're looking at today. Verse 1, 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's justification, right? In a sentence. How is it possible? For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. The law demanded that you, in order to have eternal life, would be absolutely perfect obeying all of God's laws all the time perfectly, and that you make up for your failures. Of course, if you have to make up for failures, then you've not obeyed God's laws perfectly, and there's no way you can make up for your failures. It would be an infinite punishment unpayable by a human fleshly person. So then how does God justify a sinner? He does it by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Christ fulfilled all the righteous requirements of the law for us so that we could be called children of God. We are received on the basis of Christ. J.I. Packer put it this way, adoption through propitiation. That's what we're looking at today in these verses. And then fourth, received by faith. Of course, adoption is received by faith. John 1 12 and 13, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right, the power, the authority to be called children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Again, God's sovereignty in our adoption 
is there. So we're coming to Romans 8, 12 through 17 to look at the glories of adoption, to rejoice in them. And this is the main idea. I'm taking the main idea from verse 5, really, and, and some of the following verses there. It says, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And Paul is telling us in Romans 8 about the things of the Spirit. And so it behooves us to set our mind on these things. To think on them. Romans, or 1 John 3.1 says, Behold, what kind of love the Father has given to us. To behold it. To look on it. To know it. To enjoy it. Or Romans 8.31 implies a response. Look at what it says there. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? God is for those whom He adopts. So, the seven glories of adoption that we have been working through, we looked at the first three last week, Lord willing, we'll look at the last four today. We looked at the new position of adoption, the new conviction of the adopted, the new direction, the new freedom, the new affirmation, the new inheritance, and the new expense of the adopted. Again, just a quick overview. What was the new position? Do you remember? The new position from verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. The new position is really moving from a debtor to the flesh to being a child of God, a brother to Christ, a a son of the Father. And and that's a glorious change of position because there are two aspects that we are debtors to the flesh when we are born and as we live a life that that is unregenerate. One, we are are slaves to sin. We are slaves to sin. Look look back a couple chapters. Romans chapter 6, verses 5-11 through describes little bit of who we were and then now our new position is no longer being a debtor to the flesh. Romans 6.5 For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death that He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life that He lives, He lives to God. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's what justification affects. That's what is part of adoption. Freedom from the necessity or the slavery of sin. But there's also another part there that I think is so important to remember. We have a freedom from the obligation to fulfill the law's demands in our flesh. There's no way that a person in their sinful, weak flesh can please God and be His eternal child by how they strive to obey the law. Look, what this, this is in Romans 7, 
1 and 1 through 6. Note look at this little section here. Romans 7 or do you not know brothers for I'm speaking to those who know the law that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives for a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives but if her husband dies she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. So that's an illustration that he's using for now, verse 4, the principle of being free from the law's demands on our weak, sinful human flesh. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, roused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written cold. Free from having to sin. Yes, we will. And when we do, we have an advocate, right? First John 2, 1 and 2. But we're also then free from having to appease God by keeping the law because Christ does that for us. So there's a new position. There's a new conviction we talked about. That's verse, verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. There's a new conviction that comes to the adopted child of God, they are convinced that, that the life that is oriented toward obeying the flesh, that that life will end in death, eternal death. But, for the one who is adopted, they also believe that their life, their new life in the Spirit, by the power of the Spirit that is oriented toward killing the practices and activities and the deeds of the flesh, that that life will end in life, eternal life. And, and their, life, their life is patterned and governed by that conviction. Again, Paul's not talking about merit here. He's not saying you, if, you, if you live this way, you're going to earn eternal life. He's talking about, we, yes, uh, last week we talked about DNA, right? If your life looks like this because the Spirit of God is, is in you and empowering you, then you are a child of God. If your life looks like orientation toward obeying the flesh, that life will end in death. Your DNA shows which family you're in, and your DNA of this life will show which, which end you receive. Again, that's a work of the Spirit of God through adoption. The third, the third glory of adoption that we looked at is the new direction. Verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. It's so precious to know that every child of God is led by the Spirit. We talked about this last week. He leads them to Christ, away from false religion, away from legalism. Leads them to Christ by justification. Romans 10.4 Galatians 5.1 Galatians 5.18 We talked about last week. He leads them to Christ-likeness through sanctification, to glorification. So He leads them to Christ. That's justification. He leads them to Christ-likeness. Romans 8, 26-30. 2 Corinthians 3.18 were texts that we looked at. 
And then he leads them, of course, through the Scriptures by illumination. 1 Corinthians 2, 9-16. through Well, these are the privileges of every son and daughter of God. A new position, a new conviction, which develops really a new ambition, and then a new direction of the adopted. Well, let's look at the new verses for this week, and Lord willing, we'll finish. Verse 15 and number 4, the new freedom of the adopted. Number 4, the new freedom of the adopted. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. I've called this the new freedom of the adopted. As, a, as the Holy Spirit leads every son and daughter to kill the desires of the flesh, like verse 13 talks about, to trust in Christ, to turn from sin, to grow in Christ-likeness, there's a new twofold freedom that we enjoy. The first one is freedom from slavery to fear. What it says there again, very carefully on our text, You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Paul talks about falling back into fear as if he seems to be referring to our previous life, the life before justification. What was that life like when we became aware of God's demands? It was a life of fear, wasn't it? Fear of God's judgment. Fear of of death. Fear of eternity. Fear of loss. So much fear plagued our lives. If, If we were in tune with reality, and rightly so, we should feel fear as being a child of the devil. But the new family relationship is not based on a principle of fear. And I think sometimes we as believers forget that. And we continue to be motivated by a wrong kind of fear as we live as children of God. What would that look like? Well, still thinking that God keeps us on maybe what we call a merit-demerit system. Right? You, you do wrong, and you're going to be punished for it by God. Have you ever thought that word or used that word when referring to the relationship between Father God and His children? Punished? For the sin that you've committed? Does God the Father punish anyone that He's adopted? Absolutely not. Why? Because Christ took all of that punishment already. It's gone. It's already been absorbed in the body of Christ and the cross. Any any treatment that the Father gives to His adopted children is not in the category of punishment. You realize what punishment for sin is? What is punishment for sin? It's eternal death. It's not living with one ounce of the love of God. It's, it's existence under the wrath of God. We don't receive the punishment of God. So there's no fear of punishment when the love of God has adopted you. It's gone. Maybe there's a fear of failure as an adopted child of God to think that, well, His love for me is going to be diminished in some way. 
Or maybe on the other side of that same coin, we think, well, if I, if I perform better as his child, he will love me more. Have you ever had that sort of thought in your mind with Father God? Well, again, that, that's not how God loves his children either. Do you realize this, beloved, that when, when you are adopted as a child of God, God's love for you is not based on your performance at all. His love for you is not even based on the knowledge of your sin. When God adopted you, He knew all the sin you have already committed. He knows the sins you're going to be struggling with right now. In fact, He adopted you knowing all the sins that you would commit still that you don't even know about. And He knows the sins that you're committing that you don't even know you're committing. Deep in the heart and places of your motive yet to be discovered to you by Father God. He knows all of it, and He still adopted you. But why? Why would He adopt you? Because your adoption, and this is something each of us really need to grasp carefully, our adoption is not based on God's sense of our worth. He loves us and adopted us based on the performance of Jesus Christ. Everybody put the question before you and ask you, well, who does God love more, Jesus or you, His child? And the answer is yes, right? Because He loves you as His adopted child, as He loves His own Son, because you are dressed in the righteousness of Christ. You are in Christ. He loves you based on Christ's righteousness. He loves you based on your union with Christ. And that's the reason... He will reward you eternally as well as because of Christ's righteousness, even covering the things that you do for His glory. And so that is the basis of your love. So God couldn't love you any more than He loves you now. And He won't love you any less than He loves you now because your love is, His love for you is based entirely upon the person of Jesus Christ and His work. That takes fear out of the equation, the kind of fear that is terror, not the kind of fear that puts us in awe of God. There's a, there's a healthy fear of God that says, God, you are amazing and I worship you and reverence you. But the kind of fear that sets us wondering if God is punishing us as His children or if we're going to fall out of His favor, if He's going to love us less because of our, our faulty performances, you can put that fear out. In fact, isn't that what First John says? Perfect love, what? Casts out fear. That's exactly what John's talking about. That's what it's like to be a child of God. It's a new freedom from fear. It's a new freedom from fear. Even in our weaknesses and our failures and our sins, when we struggle with something, when we have a need, fear of His judgment and His disapproval and His punishment is out of the equation. So, so you think on that. When, when, you, when you have gone through difficult days and you, and in, a, in, in days particularly, feel your weakness and your sinfulness and your failure, remember God loves you as an adopted child based on Christ and not you. And His love is faithful. Now, does that kind of love give us a freedom to cover sin and keep doing it? No. No. That, it, the opposite is true for the child of God, for the adopted son or daughter. It motivates us to then go to our Heavenly Father with all that we think and feel and struggle with and are struggling with sin and failure and so on. We go to Him and that's the second part of the, fe- of the, of the freedom. 
There's not a freedom of fear. But now we've received this freedom, uh, the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We have a freedom to run to, to the Father's throne room and speak with confidence to gain all we need in our weakness and struggle against sin. No fear, but boldness, confidence. We have a spirit of adoption and the Holy Spirit puts that in us. In fact, let me get a cross-reference for you. I think it's just fantastic. Galatians. Okay. Galatians chapter 4. And verse, well, verse, verse 4. I want you to see it's a little more detailed here in Galatians 4 than what it is in Romans 8, but it's saying the same thing. Galatians 4.4 4, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. So all of Christ's work summed up there. What's the effect? To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Look at verse 6 and 7. Because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. Look at how it says that. The same Holy Spirit that indwelt Jesus the Son of God as He spoke with His Father while on earth in His incarnate days, is the same Spirit that God sends into our hearts so that we can pray with the same boldness and confidence that Christ did to His heavenly Father. He has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father, so you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Look what freedom you have. Did Jesus have absolute freedom to speak to His heavenly Father while incarnate on this earth? Absolutely. Talk with Him anytime. All the time. Absolute freedom. No fear in coming to the Father in prayer because Jesus knew that there was no blemish in His life to come between Him and His Father. He knew that everything He prayed was according to the Father's will. Great freedom! And in fact, there's only... I think there's only a couple of times, three times. Where did I have that reference? Oh. There's only, there's only a few times in the New Testament where that word Abba is used. Of course, that's the, the Aramaic title for father, but it's an intimate expression. And, and one of them, one of those terms is, one of those times it's used is, is Mark 14.36. Do you remember when that occasion is? Mark 14.36, when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating drops of blood, bringing His, his sense of humanity and struggle to His Father. Father, if there be any way, let this cup pass from Me. Not My will, Yours be done. That's where we see the term Abba, Father, used. And, and here we have the same invitation to use the same title for Father God as Jesus did in the garden 
when he brought his deepest struggle to the Father and spoke boldly. And that's exactly the intent. We, we come to our Father as, as, as a free child running into the throne room, running into the room saying, God, here's my struggle. Father, here's the sin I am dealing with. And, and that's the way we, we can be with God and ought to be. When you're struggling with sin, what do you do? Do you run away from God, as it were, in your heart? Or do you just go to Him and tell Him all about it? Tell Him how much you're struggling to love what you shouldn't love and hate what you ought to hate and so on. Just pour your heart out boldly for to Him. God, give me Your grace. Have mercy on me. I don't know why I keep struggling with these issues in my heart and my life. Will You take them from me by Your grace? Just talk like a child desperate to His Father. That's Abba, Father. In your weaknesses, in your trials, the trials ever get so heavy, you're like, I'm done. Have you ever said that in a trial? I'm so done with this. This is too much, too long. I don't see what good this is accomplishing. In fact, I think this is causing more problems in my life. I think I'm feeling more fearful because of this trial. I think that that, that, that my kids are being negatively affected by this trial and so on and so on. Do you ever take all those, just, just take them into the throne room of God and say, God, here, it's yours. I give it. This is more than I can bear. This is so heavy. Right? That's what we do with Abba, Father. You tell Him all about it. You give it to Him. He is the God full of grace and mercy. And He doesn't chide you for any of that. He tells you, come, tell me. And then we always are led by the Spirit of God at the end of our prayers to say what? Just like Jesus, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. The Spirit of God leads you there. The same Spirit that, that filled Christ in this earth as a human being will bring you to the throne room, give you confidence to pour that out before your Father, and give you desire even in your struggle at the end to say, Father, not my will, but yours be done. You know best. You love me. Isn't this what Hebrews 14 reminds us of? I'm sorry, Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Here's the place of our confidence. Since then we have a high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, Jesus bought our way as adopted sons and daughters into the throne room of God. He's passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Psalm, 73 we, er, Psalm 93 we opened with this morning and said three times in that text how mighty God is. How powerful He is. Full of all, that, all the resources His children need. Is God poor? Is God a poor Father? <laughs> no, he, he is all we need. He is all we need. Every spiritual blessing in heavenly places is, is His and he, and he puts those at our disposal. So come. There's not 
a spirit to fall back into fear when we're a child of God. We have a, we have a new freedom. We have a spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit in the home, as it were, of God is not a spirit of slavery. The family relationship is not a principle of fear. Think on this, beloved. There's so much more to be said, but there's an introduction to it. That's a glorious thing. The new freedom of the adopted. Verse 16, number 5 this morning, the new affirmation of the adopted. Verse 16, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. There's a witness that's born in the heart of every adopted child. And it reminds us that we are children of God. The Spirit carries that out. He brings it to our spirit. How does What's going on there? Well, God, God is a good Father. And, and he, he, he tells His children that He loves them. He reminds them that they belong to Him. And He does that through a ministry of the Holy Spirit within them. The Spirit bears witness with the Spirit of every son and daughter that they belong to God. Bear witness. What does that mean? Well, it's a simple word. It just talks about testifying that something is true. God testifies to every one of His children, you're mine. You belong to me. And I love you. And that's, that's the case. In every life of, a child, of an adopted child, it's a reality. It reminds us that it is. And we need that, don't we? Do you ever have dark moments where you doubt? that you are God's child? That's not weird. That's part of the struggle of the Christian life. Why else would the apostles take such great pain to spill so much ink reminding us the true evidences and assurances of eternal life? Read the Puritan prayers. Read the Puritan prayers when they're dying and you will see that they pleaded with God asking that even in those final hours that they would be granted the assurance of faith in Christ. Right? This is a precious pursuit. There's some branches of Christendom, not really, that, that teach you that you can't have assurance of salvation. Something always keep you reaching for but never really pursuing in this life. no. God means to assure His children, His adoption children, that they belong to Him. They're children of God. But what does the Holy Spirit, how does the Holy Spirit do that? Well, I don't think that we need to look to some sort of subjective experience. Like, I just got this really strong feeling today that I'm a child of God. That's how I know. I think the text really tells us. The context here tells us how we know or how the Spirit of God bears witness to us. Think of all these privileges of adoption that we've been talking about. Let me put them in a question form. Has the Holy Spirit led you to Christ? Has the Holy Spirit led you to see sin 
more from God's perspective and, and given you desire to repent of it and, and away from legalism? Is, he, is the Spirit of God continuing to lead you away from dependence upon yourself? You know, we talk about sola fide here, right? I don't think we've even begun to understand, I know I haven't, how much we still depend on ourselves in so many ways all through the Christian life. Boy, I, I, wow. When you hit difficult days in life, you see how much you yet depend on yourself. You're like, God, my it's a farce to think that any part of our lives is a dependence upon ourselves. Any of it, right? Every breath, every heartbeat, every thought is from God. And so has the the Spirit of Christ leading you to continue to trust in Christ and cease trusting in yourself? Has the Holy Spirit been enabling you to overcome sin little by little? To kill the desires of the flesh? Has the Holy Spirit deepened your conviction about the life of the Spirit that ends in eternal life with God? And deepened your conviction to say, I, I know that life pursuing the pleasures of the flesh is going to end in death. And I don't want that life. Has the Holy Spirit led you in that conviction? Has the Holy Spirit been leading you in Christ's likeness? Is, is He illumining the Word of God to you and showing you the Gospel and the person of Christ that He is sufficient? Has the Holy Spirit been freeing you from guilt? Has He been freeing you from fear of God's punishment and helping you to see that the righteousness of Christ is sufficient for you to be in Christ? For you to be loved by your Father? Are those thoughts beginning to take over your your heart and life more and more? Is He giving you a growing confidence in the righteousness of Christ? Has the Holy Spirit been leading your heart to know God as your good Father so that you cry out to Him? Has the Spirit of the Son of God to cry out to the Father been active in your life? When you when you find yourself in a struggle with sin, when you find yourself in the struggle of a trial, when you find yourself in weakness or, or whatever, relational issues that you're maybe struggling with, what does your heart do? do, do are you drawn by the Spirit of God to go before the throne of grace? That's the Spirit of God bearing witness with your spirit that you are His child. That's what children do. They go to their Father. They see Christ as sufficient. Do you see? The very things that that Paul is writing here are the privileges of adoption become the evidences of adoption. They they begun to be worked out in our lives by the Spirit. That's the Spirit bearing witness. It's God telling you, I love you. Look, you're my child. And this will never change. This will continue to grow in your heart. That, that relationship, beloved, and affirmation will never end. Did you know that? Your adoption will not come to an end. The Spirit will continue to bear witness. And God will never cease loving any of His children. He loves His sons and daughters eternally. He loves them as much as He loves His only begotten Son because He loves them in His Son. Again, so many things to think about. Let me give you two references to, to think on. John 17, 20-26 is great text to talk about how Jesus brings us into the love of God. And, and Jesus said in 
John 20, verse 17. So John 17, 20 through 26, but then John 20, verse 17. What a, what a great word this is from Jesus. Jesus said to her, Mary Magdalene, He said, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father, but go tell my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. What a, what a, great, what a great affirmation of sonship that is. So think on these things. Behold them. Set your mind on them. Respond to them. Number six, the new inheritance. And um, let me show you in the text here. The new inheritance. The, chil- the Spirit of God Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Verse 17, And if children, then what? Heirs. And he, and he says this in multiple ways. Heirs, then what? Heirs of God and what? Fellow heirs with Christ. And I think it's parallel to think of being a fellow heir with Christ that we also may be glorified with Him. Wow! Every adopted child is also what? An heir! Now, I'm not, I don't know what to do with this section. I really don't. I struggled with how to put it together for you. I'm going to give you some ideas, I guess, that you can look further into the Scriptures, but this, we, we could obviously spend days talking about what is our inheritance as an adopted child? What, do you know? Do you know what's in your inheritance package as an adopted child? This is something to think about. Well, Christ is our brother. We get, we get a brother. Christ Himself. You want to write down some references. You can't, I can't look all these up. We, so much time would be would taken. Hebrews 3.14. Hebrews 1.12. 1 John 3.2. Philippians 3.8. We get a father. We get God as our father. It's part of our inheritance. Psalm 16.5. 16.11. Psm seventy three twenty five and twenty six talks about God being our portion. We have God and all of his glorious attributes to enjoy forever as adopted children. He is our inheritance. Christ is our inheritance. Salvation is our inheritance. First Peter one five talks about that. In fact, first Peter five three through nine really talk about our eternal salvation being our inheritance. We will be perfected, absolutely free from sin. Hebrews 1.14 is another text. Righteousness, holiness is another part of our inheritance. 1 Timothy 4.8. Hebrews 11, 7 and 8. Hebrews 12.10. Righteousness. Christ's righteousness given to us. Holiness. There is going to be a day when we stand before God absolutely sinless in terms of our experience, not just our position. Sinless. We have glory and honor. 1 Peter 5.4 We'll hear because of Christ, because we've served in Christ, we'll hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Life, eternal life. James 1.12 talks about 
The crown of life being given. If you would do a word search on, on words like inheritance, heir, inherit, share, joint heir, crown, you would see the inheritance, pieces of the inheritance that God has given to those whom He has adopted. Philippians 3.10, life. Revelation 2.10, Revelation 22.19, gladness and joy. 1 Peter 4.13, if we suffer with Him, we will rejoice with Him. We'll know His gladness and joy. All the promises fulfilled. Hebrews 6.12, 9.15. We'll have a perfect family. Think about that, beloved. Boy, there's, in this life, there's, there's family struggles, right? Whether it's the family of God here or, or, or your, your biological family, there's struggles with family. When, when we get to heaven, part of what we are going to delight in greatly is, is the family of God. Everyone will be perfected. Everyone, we will enjoy the fellowship of the family of God forever. A perfect father, a perfect brother in Christ, perfect brothers and sisters. Philippians 4.1, Galatians 5.21, 1 Thessalonians 2.19, 1 Corinthians 6.9, 10, 1 Corinthians 15.50. New bodies. Anybody want one of those? <laughs> That's part of your inheritance. Philippians 3.20 and 21. A new heaven and a new earth. 1 Peter 3.13, Romans 4.13. A new heaven, a new earth where righteousness dwells. Isn't that a great text in 2 Peter 3.13? A kingdom, Matthew 25.34. 1 Corinthians 2.9, Colossians 1.12. And you know what, beloved? These are all pieces, and, and this hasn't even begun to scratch the surface of our inheritance, but these are some of the things the Scripture lets us know to think on these things. And the Holy Spirit is leading you to that inheritance. And what does, first, what does Ephesians 1.14 call Him? The guarantee. Right? You have the Spirit of God within you as an adopted child. And he's leading you, right? We talked about that. But He's leading you to that inheritance. Perfecting you. He's preparing you for that glorification. He's preparing you and perfecting you for that adoption. In fact, you can notice through the Scripture, adoption is one of those themes in the Bible that's one of those already not yet themes. You are adopted. But even in Romans 8, it says we have the spirit of adoption, but then in, I'm not in Romans 8 anymore. Romans 8, let's see, verse... Verse 23, it says, we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. There's more to come with the adoption. The Holy Spirit is leading us there. You know, set your mind on your inheritance. The Apostle Peter knew well how to endure suffering in this life. Do you believe that? He did. And he tells us in 1 Peter 1.13, set your mind completely on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I'm, I know this is part of the reason when, that we we become so discouraged in the sufferings of this life is because we have our minds set where? On the things of this life and the losses we're experiencing in this life. 
But we could, we could more joyfully and more in a godly way endure the difficulties of this life if we would have our mind by the Spirit of God, by His grace, set on the grace that's coming to us. This inheritance. Can you lose this inheritance? Will you lose any of it? No, no. It's been purchased in Christ and God promises it's imperishable, it's undefiled, unfading, what? Reserved in heaven for you. And you won't fail to get there if you truly are His child adopted because He says He's guarding you through faith so that you can receive the inheritance. Well, finally, this morning, let's look at the last. The last glory of adoption. The new expense of the adopted And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him. Is that a privilege? Is that a glory of adoption? Well, the apostles thought so. In fact, in Acts 4, they left being beaten and whipped, rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer for His sake. There is a word that comes up in the New Testament in the context that, that talks about inheritance. The word is share. Let me give you a few. First Timothy 1.8. Sorry, 2 Timothy 1.8. Paul writes to Timothy, says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me His prisoner, but what? Share. Share in suffering for the Gospel by the power of God. 2 Timothy 2.3 Share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 4 and verse 13 1 Peter 4.13 says, But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If we are to share His inheritance, then we will also share His suffering in this world. That's a fact. Verse 17b says it plainly. Plainly, And if children then heirs, heirs of God, provided we suffer with Him, every adopted child will share in the inheritance, but every adopted child will share in the suffering. Did you know that every adopted child will suffer in this world? Did you think the Christian life would be different than that? There's two reasons why we'll suffer at least. One, we will suffer to become like Christ. God, our Father, our adopted Father, uses suffering. And He won't not use it. He will use suffering to cause us to be changed in the image of Christ. So it's like this. Every adopted child will suffer. The adopted child, do you want to be like Jesus? Well, yes, I want to be like Jesus. Well, then He will use suffering to do that. It's part 
of being in God's family. Hebrews 5, 8 through 9, Jesus learned obedience through what? Through what he suffered. Hebrews 12, 3 through 11, God the Father says, he, and it's from Proverbs, right? It's from Proverbs 3. He will discipline every son whom he receives. Every son. And while it's not pleasant, it's good. It will produce righteousness later. Or First Peter 2, or First Peter 4, 1 and 2, where we just were, it talks about the one who has suffered in the flesh is ceased from sin. It's suffering has a purifying effect. So, Bank on it. You can guarantee that. Suffering will be a tool used by God in the life of every one of His adopted children to make them to become like Jesus. That's it. That's the new expense. But it's worth it. Because then there's another part of the suffering as well that we have to understand. As we suffer under the loving care of our Father to become like Jesus, we will also then suffer from the world because we are like Jesus. You suffer to become like Jesus, and you suffer because you're like Jesus. First Peter 4, 12-14, where he just were there, it says, if you suffer for the sake of Christ, rejoice because what? The Spirit of glory and of Christ rests upon you. You have the Spirit of Christ showing Christ through your life. Or 1 John 3, 1 through 3. We talked about that already. Behold, what kind of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. But remember the next phrases? The reason the world, what? Doesn't know us is that it did not know Him. And Jesus said the same thing. He said, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. If God the Father is making you like Jesus, the world will not recognize you as its own. It will recognize you as its enemy because that's how they recognized Christ. If you want to become like your big brother Jesus, and, and that's the, the longing of every adopted son and daughter, is God will tool that through in suffering. And you will experience that from the world. But all suffering for the adopted is a wise expense. None of it will be wasted. All will prepare us for the inheritance. That's what Romans 8, verses 18 through 25 tell us clearly. Remember, I consider the sufferings of this present life are what? Not worth comparing to the glory that's going to be revealed to us. And so on. These are some of the glories of adoption. A new position all the way through to a new expense, a new inheritance, a new freedom. Meditate on this text. Rejoice in it. Let me give you three applications of this as we close. First, this will be a comfort to you in affliction. And that's the context of Romans 8, right? What can separate us from the love of Christ? Let this comfort you. You can, you can lose any, everything of this life. Right? Sickness, we can lose money through poverty. We can lose our minds with dementia. We could, we could lose our children in some way. We could have people turn against us. We could be rejected. But you can never lose your adoption. God is your Father. Christ is your brother. This inheritance is yours. 
You're going to be in a new heaven, a new earth, and your family perfected in Christ forever. Think on those things. It's coming. This ought to, secondly, convict us in sin. We have such family blessings. We have a Father's love. When you think on your adoption and all of the glories that have been given to you, let it break your heart to so spurn your Father's love. To turn around and continue in sin so that His grace would abound. What does Paul say to that? May it never be. Let the adopted love of your Father drive you to Him and long to be like Christ. The last, the last application I thought of as well, and there's so many more, I'm sure, but a spur to you in conflict. When you are in conflict with your brothers and sisters in Christ, doesn't adoption have something to say about that? No, I can't forgive that person. I'm going to be bitter with that. No, it's just not going to... Wait, did Christ die for them? Are they your brother? Are they your sister? Yes. Are they your brother and sister in Christ? Yes. Then, then, then is, there, is there a rift too great that cannot be mended in the family of God by the power and the righteousness of Christ? No, there's not. Yes, it, it may take some time for trust to be rebuilt, and I understand that. But forgiveness is free and love can be given and we can continue to serve one another because Christ is our, is our brother. God is our Father. And this is our family. We've been adopted together. If you're here this morning and you don't know that you've been adopted, you don't know that you're a child of God, I would urge you not to spurn these words of grace. But to abandon your sin is not worth it. What is the inheritance of a life of pursuing sin? An eternal inheritance of the wrath of God. Do you want that? I don't want that for you. It's not worth it. What is good is the pleasures of sin. They only last for a season. What is the profit of a man? He gains the whole world and loses his soul. But turn to Christ and find His righteousness perfect. Follow the leading of the Holy Spirit away from self-righteousness and sin and trust in the perfect provision of Christ. He's all you need to be an adopted son and daughter of God. And you know this, boy, this is a great comfort for children as well. Do you ever have to, parents, do you have to ever comfort your kids with fearful thoughts and anxieties and struggles? Show them what God promises to an adopted child and invite them to trust in Christ. And, and Because what can harm you if you are a child of God? Right? What can? What can? You're His. How does Jesus talk about it in John 10? They're in my Father's hands and nothing can take them away. Comfort. Don't, let's not comfort our children with false comforts. Daddy, Mommy won't let anything happen to you. <laughs> Do you ever tell your kids, it's going to be fine. When in your mind you're saying to yourself what? I don't know if this is going to be fine. But we can say to our children, if you are God's child, then you're His. And if something happens that you don't like, nothing can take your adoption away. Run to Christ, dear child, and leave them in the influence of the Holy Spirit. Right? 
That's, that's, that's what God calls us to. Let's stand together and pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank You for the glories of adoption. You can, nothing, nothing will take this away from Your children. How precious it is that we set our affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Change our desires, change our focus. Give us joy as we set our hope entirely on the grace that is to be brought to us. Come back soon, Lord Jesus. May your will be done. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.